0: Welcome to the first in our series of classes on Pirkei where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Today will be an introduction to the concept of Pirkei Avos, of exactly what Pirkei Avos is. Pirkei Avos translated as Ethics of the Fathers, as the Chapters of the Fathers. Which fathers are we talking about? Are we talking about the Avos HaOlam? Are we talking about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Are we talking about the Avos, meaning the Tanoim? Is the Avos our parents? Is the Avos ourselves, who are going to be parents? Who are these Pirkei Avos? Who are these Avos that we're talking about? That's my first question. Second question is, we know that we read Pirkei Avos between many of a custom, to read Pirkei Avos between Pesach and Shavuos. What's the Shaychas? What's the connection between Pirkei Avos and Pesach and Shavuos? To understand exactly what Pirkei Avos is, we have to give a brief history of the concept of Misora and of the history of Mesorah if you take a look at the first Mishnah the first mission says Moshe got it from Sinai he gave it to Joshua Joshua gave it to the elders the elders gave it to the prophets the prophets gave it to the men of the great assembly now, there are many problems with that that history, with that lineage, those people that are being um, spoken about in that Mishnah, why there aren't more of them, and was that the exact method of transmission? There seem to be details that are left out, but that's not for tonight. That we'll deal with tomorrow in the first class on the actual Mishnah. But what is important to us is, is that why does Pirkei begin with the reiteration or with the teaching of the concept of Misora? That Moshe got it, Moshe gave it. It was then given to, the next, given to the next group until finally came to the men of the great assemblies and the men of the great assembly taught three things. Why is it necessary to begin Pirkei with this history of Masorah and a reiteration that the Torah comes through Masora? So to understand this, let's give a little bit of a history of the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people. That When God gave us the Torah, he gave us the Torah, two Torahs, the written Torah and the oral Torah. So why is it that God would have had given the written Torah? So that there is an everlasting record of the mitzvot of the Torah that is indisputable. It was written. It was the word of God. It was written down by, by Moshe as the scribe. And this is the word of the Divine Hashem. Beautiful. Why was it necessary to give part of the Torah oral? Because we understand that, you know, imagine if I told you that I was going to destroy every dictionary in the world. In one year's time, I'm going to destroy every dictionary, every spell check, every, every computer dictionary, there's going to be nothing available online. No dictionary is going to exist in this world. What would you be doing for the next year? You'd be learning the dictionary. And the way you'd be learning the dictionary is because you know that without you, it's not going to pass on to the next generation. And the way you would be involved in that dictionary is that you would split it up amongst people. You would do the A's, the next person would do the B's. And when you're standing online in the grocery store, instead of reading some of the trashy magazines, the headlines, you know, that are sitting in front of you or the, the magazines and, and, and see what they're about. So you would be standing there going, okay, Ardvar, okay, it's a derivative of this kind of word is a noun, blah, 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 blah. You'd be going over at going over, you're sitting by a red light. You'd be going over, you're sitting at the dinner table and you would look at your kids and say, okay, Who's got the bees? Right. Tell me, what's the first letter in the bees? How do you spell that? Where's it from? What's it? And, and this is going to take over your life, and it's going to be something that you're going to commit to memory, something that you're going to be totally, completely engaged in, because you know that if you're not engaged in it, then your children are not going to receive it. This was God's methodology. The reason why God gave us an oral Torah, he didn't write everything down, because if you wrote everything down, it would be like a dictionary. It would sit on your shelf, and when you felt you needed it, you would open it up. And if you never felt you needed it, you would never open it up. You would go through life with the knowledge that you had without increasing that knowledge at all, unless you read Reader's Digest and you got, you know, strengthening your word power a little bit. But short of that, you would never get any more words. You would never learn any more vocabulary because you just keep it in the in, on the shelf. And when somebody uses a word you don't know, you would take it out. And God was afraid that that was what would happen to the Torah. That the Torah would become a volume, a reference volume. You'd stick it on the shelf. When you needed it, you take it out. If you didn't need it, and you can go through life without needing it. So then you would never take it out he wanted it to be committed to memory he wanted it to be oral so that you would have to understand it Came you'd have to go over it you'd have to live it it would have to become a part of you so that you could then go and pass that on to your children that it's something that Vishane from the word of tooth that it has to become sharp to you so that you can give it over to your children a beautiful example of the way, the relationship between the written Torah and the oral Torah, it says in the written Torah, uch'savtam Tom you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gateways. But it doesn't say what you're supposed to write. Technically, if you wanted to take the Torah literally, it says you shall write them on your doorposts. So you, and, and it says amazuzos on both doorposts. So if you take a piece of paper and you write the word them, T-H-E-M, on two pieces of paper, put one on the right side, one on the left side. You have fulfilled the commandment of the Torah. So God says to Moshe, "No, Moshe, put your pen down. Let me explain this to you. What does that mean? It means Tamo. It means it has to be written this way. It has to be written on a on a scroll. It has to be written with this kind of ink. It has to be put on the doorpost on this side. It has to be. It has to be on this way." And all the details of the commandment were given to Moshe. And it was all those details and explanations of the the commandments that that's what then got passed on from generation to generation. All of this was going fine. There was no machlokas. There was never any disagreement. There was never any dispute. Everything was very, very clear as the generations went through. Then they laid siege to Jerusalem in the time of the first temple. And when Jerusalem was under siege, that was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the weakening of the Jewish people's ties to the Torah. It was the beginning of the weakening tower tower ties to the Torah Shabbat to the oral Torah. And that just continued to deteriorate through time until the middle of the second base of when Machlokasin started to to proliferate in the Jewish people. Things became less clear until the point of approximately around 120 years after the destruction of the second temple. Rabbi Dan Nasi was looking at this and saying that if we don't do something about this, so then the Torah is going to be forgotten in the Jewish people. And he gave what's called a Hirah shah. They gave a, a psak halacha for that time And they decided that they were going to take all that which God had commanded should be oral and commit that to writing. The problem was that faced them, that the whole concept of Misora is so critical to us that they couldn't just destroy the Sinaitic experience of the passage from parent to child. And therefore what they did was they wrote the Mishnah in a way that was cryptic and that still required a teacher, a parent to teach his child. It didn't obviate the need to have a teacher. It wasn't the volume that would be put on a shelf. It was still something that needed to be taught and clarified. It was only the bullet points that were written down in the Mishnayis. But nevertheless, at least we now had a written record of the bullets, of the, the, the talking points of the oral Torah, of the Torah Shabal Per. When Rabbi Yudan Nasi wrote, and that is called the Mishnah, A few hundred years later, even that was being forgotten, and they decided to write down more details of the Oral Torah. They took each Mishnah, and they had discussions on each Mishnah, clarifying and elucidating the Mishnah and the Halacha, and that's called the Gemara. Now there are many more details here many more details of exactly what's inside the Gemara, what was chosen to be put in the Gemara, what did not make it into the Gemara, what made it into the Mishnah, what did not make it into the Mishnah, what's sitting on the editorial floor, so to speak, of the Mishnah, that's not for now. But that there was the writing of the Oral Torah, and what Rabbi Yudan Nasi did when he wrote the Oral Torah, Rabbi Noah took the Oral Torah and split it into six sections. The section of Zeroyim that deals with agricultural laws and the laws of brachos then moed the laws that deal with holidays and festivals there's a tractate on Shabbos a tractate on Erevin a tractate on Sukkah a tractate on Psachim a tractate on Sukkah then the, there is um, Noshim tractates that deal with um, with marriage and divorce law there is nizikin tractates that deal with um, damages and business law then there is kochim and taros things that deal with sacrifices in the sacrificial system in the temple and taros purity and impurity and all of Jewish law sits inside of these six sections called shas shisha Sidre, mishnah now in the section the book, think of it as bookshelves. There are six bookshelves, and on the, each bookshelf there are many volumes. The volumes are called Masechet. In every Masechet, there are many chapters. In every chapter, there are many Mishnayot. Many Mishnays. So in the fourth section, called Neziken, in Damages, there is, in towards the end of Damages, there is a tractate called Avos. The tractate on ethical development and ethical living. The tractate that if a person wants to become a better mensch, then he studies that tractate. If he wants to develop himself as a human being, then he studies that tractate called Avos. So the million dollar question is, of all the places that Reb Nasi stuck the tractates I could understand why Pesach is in Moed I could understand why Brachos is in Zeroyim I can understand why Kedushin and Gittin are in Noshem, the section of women of marriage and divorce I can understand why the Mesechtos of Kachim, Zvachim and Nachos, why those are in Kachim, and I can understand why the Mesechtos of Taros are in Taros. But what in the world is Avos doing in Nezikin? And why does Nezikin, why does Avos begin with this reminder that everything comes from God? Moshe Misinai Sinai, Umsara Leoshua, Vyashua Lezekainim, Uzkainim Linevium. Do you know where that belongs? That belongs in Tractate 1 of the Oral Torah. So that we understand that the oral Torah is not something that was cooked up by a bunch of guys. The oral Torah is something that was delivered by God. It's something that is the word of God. So then that should have been in Brachos, in the first Masechet, in the first tractate, of the first order, of the first Seder of Shas. That's where it belonged. Why was it stuck in Nezikin? And why, why was it stuck in the beginning of Avos? and why was it in Nizikin? When it comes to the letter of the law to legal concept, concepts there's very little doubt as to the origin of this law that we understand that these laws come from God Zos Torah, this is the Torah God speaks about it much in his Torah we can see them they're clear, they're there that there are sacrifices, that there are Shabbos, that there are relationships, commandments, obligations for relationships between human beings. But that's as far as the letter of the law. But as far as the Ruach HaTorah, as far as the spirit of the law, as far as what we're meant to get out of the law, the kind of people that this is meant to shape us into, the Ruach HaTorah, that's not as clear and that's what Pirke Ovos is Pirke Ovos is teaching us the Ruach HaTorah, the spirit of the Torah, the Ratzon Hashem, where he wants it to go inside of us it's nothing that is written that can be written and quantified it was something that came through in the understanding of the oral Torah that then had to be written and quantified as Torah was being forgotten. That direction of where it needs to go, of what it needs to do to us, how it needs to change us, the kind of people that we need to be shaped into. This we need to understand is not made up by a bunch of guys. That the laws of Shabbos wasn't made up by a bunch of guys? Okay, that's not a problem. But that the ethics, the values, how do I know that they weren't just cooked up by people? And then this is a good set of values, but I have a different set of values. I have another way of looking at the world. I have another way of looking at ethics. I have another way of thinking what's ethical behavior. Moshe Kibot Taremi Sinai. Moshe got everything from Sinai. That statement doesn't need to be made at the beginning of the legal concepts that statement needs to be reiterated at the beginning of the ethical concepts this is the book of Midos Tavos it's the book of Derech Eretz which is Kadmala Torah which comes even before the Torah which is the reason why we read it between Shavuot, Pesach and Shavuos because Shavuos is Zman Matan Seinu, and we need a Hachana preparation for that how to be a mensch not how to act like a mensch to another person how to be a mensch how to become a mensch how to become a human being how to lift ourselves out of the ground and to become a human being to take that neshama yisara that we were created with and to develop that in the most pristine and beautiful kind of way Rabbi put it in Neziken to underscore the critical nature of developing a divine character and that to make us understand that if you have a character flaw, it's not just oh well it's who I am take me for what I am I'm a flawed human being a flawed human being is called a mazik is a damager. It's not just you're a weirdo, you're a mazik. If somebody gets hurt because of your character flaw, if somebody gets harmed because of your character flaw, you've been mazik them. And that's why it's in Nizikin in the laws of damages. Because Rebbe wanted to send a message. First message it comes from Sinai. Moshe Kibbut Sinai. This is God's vision of what a human being needs to be, and an understanding that it's not just new, agey kind of feel-good kumbaya Judaism but it's essential to being a human being. Just like I have to worry that my cow doesn't gore you and that my property doesn't damage you and that my money doesn't cause you any ruin, I have to worry that my personality doesn't harm yours. I have to make sure that I'm not a mazik. And perhaps that's the reason why it's called Avos. We know that the laws of Shabbos are introduced to us, the Avos Melachos, the major categories of prohibited work on Shabbos. The Avos Hatuma, the main categories of Tuma from which Tuma then emanates, impurity then emanates. The Avos Neziken, the main categories of damages. These are the Avos, the primary categories of ethical ideas. And it's called Pirke Avos also, because it's written by our Avos. It's not just our roots, and by those who are our roots, but those who were to us like Avos like parents dedicating to our success, to us becoming mentioned. These are the words of the Torah that were reiterated by people and taught to us through the, person, the personalities of people that cared about our development. And it's called prikiavos because ultimately it comes through the Avos HaOlam through Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, who through the perfection of their midos brought Kedusha into this world. And it's called Pirke Avos because it's the Pirke Avos, it's the Rashi Prakim of how to be an Av, of how to be a parent, of how to be teachers, of how to be able to impart morality and ethics mido's personality development to the next generation and it's called prikyavos because these are the words of our fathers the Masa of a what our forefathers did were a simon, were a symbol, a sign for the children. That it means the way we normally interpret it. That its history is going to repeat itself, and it's just going to keep going over and over. But there's a more important way of understanding. It's my simon It's my simon bibbonim. What happened to our forefathers inculcated inside of us certain values, certain genetic makeup that made it possible for us to be able to exist as Jews. The reason why a Jew in the middle of his life can turn around and change his life and decide to become a Baal is because of Ram Avinu, Lech Lecha The reason why a person can pick themselves up in the middle of their lives and move to Eretz Yisrael, a person can change direction, change the course of his life, is because of Lech Lecha The reason why we're Moser Nefesh, every generation we have people that are willing to be Moser Nefesh, willing to give up their lives rather than to change what they believe in is because of Ram and Yitzchak by the Akedah, because of Avraham Avinu, by the Kibshan Aish, by being thrown into a fiery furnace. What the Maisa of Ovas, what the Ovas did, made it possible for me to be the kind of person that I could become embedded in me, embedded in the children's signposts, what kind of potential we have. Let us know who we could become, what we're capable of becoming. These are the Pirkei Avos. These are the prakim of those that set the roots for the Jewish nation. And this too is from the Torah. It isn't just new agey stuff. It's not just stuff that we just cooked up. Moshe, Kibel, Teira, Misinai. Umisarah, Yoshua. And he passed it on and passed it on and these are the roots, the roots of who we are, the potentials of what we can become. A few rules. When we learn Pirkei we see sages that say things. And they're saying things that are actually speaking to their generation. But it's not just their generation that they're speaking to. In each generation, we find ourselves. You know, you take a look at Joshua's from 200 years ago, from Yaakov Emden, and you'll see that he's talking to his congregation about intermarriage. And you say to yourself, it's not unbelievable. It's been there for a long time. You look at the Rishonim and the things that the Rishonim were talking about. You look in Avos, and you see the things that were talked about in the times of the Tanoim. And you realize that we're the same. We need the same ethical development and guidance. And though they're talking to their generation, their generation is our generation. And we have to look at the words that they say as, as if they're being spoken to us. They're being created right now. Rule number two. Pirkei Avvis was not written in a superficial kind of way. When you read a Mishnah, and you say, oh, okay, I got it. No, you don't. Whatever you think is on the surface of a Mishnah, is not what the Mishnah means. There is a depth and a a, a deepness to the Mishnayos that needs to be uncovered and unearthed of why was this the message of all other messages that were taught? <laughs> they said three things, why these three things? What's the Kesha between these three things? Because he didn't just say three things at different intervals in his life and they happen to be recorded in one Mishnah. They have something to do with each other. There is a thread to be drawn. We'll try to uncover many of those things. Another rule is that the Mishnahs don't repeat themselves. So if you see a Mishnah in chapter 1 and you see a Mishnah in chapter 4, well you see a mission at the very beginning of chapter 2 and a mission at the very beginning of chapter 3 and you think that they're exactly the same and they're telling you the same thing look again because Mishnayes don't repeat themselves there is a nuance that is teaching you a completely different approach and if we study Pirkei Avos with the eyes towards learning an approach to life an approach to my development as a human being. So then Pirke Alves is one of the deepest and richest of all of the works of our sages. And it is something that needs to be at the forefront. It's something that needs to be a basic manual for how we shape our lives And how we become the people that we're meant to become. It was a wonderful half hour. And I look forward to seeing you in class number two.